0: Welcome back to the Paycheck to Daycheck reselling podcast. Today's episode is going to be a guest episode. We have my dear friend Josh with us, who happens to be a sneaker reseller, and he is going to give all of the information you'll need to get really hooked on sneakers and hopefully it will help those who are wanting to do sneaker reselling. We have Josh and if you're watching on YouTube, he is sitting right next to me. If you're listening to the podcast, you won't be able to see him, but you can always go over to the YouTube channel and check it out. Uh, So Josh, why don't you tell us a little about yourself and your business?
1: Yeah. Hello everybody. My name is uh, Josh Madsen, full-time eBay reseller for the most part. Um I do a lot of clothing, but more recently, as in like the last 5 years or so, I've delved deeper into sneakers and that's kind of my main focus now. Yeah, I guess that's about it for the start.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much, Josh. Have you So you mentioned that you started or you flipped a little bit of clothing and then now the last 5 years you've kind of gotten more into sneakers. So, did you start with clothing or did you start with something else?
1: Yeah, so I started with clothing on eBay when I was I would say a teenager. I'm 30 now. Um, when I was a teenager, I kind of dabbled in eBay. Like I would sell a couple of things here and there. At the time, it was on my grandfather's account because I think you have to be 18 or somewhere around there to actually have you know the PayPal account and all that. Um, so I would kind of dabble and sell a little bit here and there. That was more just a hobby, I guess, that came and went over the years. And when I was somewhere around 2021, 20, age-wise, not the year 2021, um, I went into a thrift store and bought... I basically saw T-shirts that I had sold in the past, and they just stuck out to me. I saw they were two dollars, and I had recently sold something like that for eight, and a light bulb kind of went off in my head. And I thought, oh, I could buy a couple here and then I could sell them on eBay and make a couple bucks profit, which selling on eBay before had never really been a profit thing. It was just kind of getting rid of stuff that I had for a little bit of extra pocket cash. But for the first time, I kind of saw the the whole thing as you know, a business. So I bought a couple items, I brought them home, I listed them, then very next morning, I woke up to a sale. And from there, I just kind of kept building and buying more and more. It was all t shirts at the time. Um, and I built up a store. Uh, this is five, six years ago, but I had 5000 active listings on eBay, all clothing, um, before I got into sneakers. And now that I've gotten into sneakers, I have 4,000 active listings and about 3,200 of those are still clothing, but 800 or so are our sneakers.
2: Wow, that is super impressive. So how did you make that transition into sneakers then? How did that start up for you?
1: Well, that's a good question. I think what happened... So when I started selling these t-shirts, I really didn't follow anybody. Like, There was no content I was watching that was talking about reselling. It existed, but I just wasn't aware of it. Um, And then after I had already built this t-shirt business, I started stumbling across YouTubers. Um, I believe like Hustler Hacks was one, which is actually how me and Liz met. Um, But that's one that I used to watch that kind of got me into sneakers. And I grew up skateboarding and I was kind of into the shoes that like related to that. So not necessarily Nike at the time, they've gone down that route now. Um, but it's what it was brands like, you're probably not familiar with these, but America and S and like those kind of brands. Um, I really liked those shoes like for, for my personal use and, you know, got excited when I got a new pair. Um, later on, once I started learning about like the resale value of Nike's, my interest kind of shifted towards, you know, Nike's and Jordan's. And it started by going to the outlets. And I really didn't have the capital at the time because t-shirts are very easy, um, you know, buy-in costs. It's a couple bucks a piece. And if you make a mistake, it's not very costly. If you find a big hole when you get home, you can just throw it away and it, it, you lost two bucks. Um, with shoes, it was a little bit bigger. I mean, I was a, a broke college student. I had my first apartment. So all my income from at the time, my part-time job was going to pay the bills. And, uh, it was kind of difficult to afford buying these shoes on top of that because some sneakers are, you know, retail price of $200. It, I didn't have. 200 bucks to splurge on multiple pairs of those kind of shoes at the time. So it was kind of a slow buildup of going to the Nike outlets and buying a couple pairs there, flipping those for, you know, twice what I paid for them essentially. And then as those would sell, I can go back to the outlet and replace my one pair with two pairs and just built that from there. So that's
2: basically how you built your bankroll to get to where you are now.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely how it started.
2: Awesome. That's very cool.
0: I do have a question cause I'm sure people are thinking cause I, We did meet, side note, we did meet at Hustler Hacks meetup here in Phoenix. And so shout out to Hustler Hacks for having that. Because if we wouldn't have had that meetup, we wouldn't have met. But I know with starting to sell shoes, a lot of people do start at like Ross. And they go into Ross. And, you know, of course, Ross doesn't have the shoe boxes. So nine times out of 10, it's just going to be what a local flip or eBay. And you have to say that you don't have the box. So it wouldn't be something that you could actually sell on Amazon. But when you're looking up sneakers, are you looking for something specific when you're looking them up?
1: So like I said before, I mainly sell on eBay. So what I'm looking for is kind of the sell through rate. I'm looking at, you look up the SKU on the shoe box, which is a nine digit code. I don't know if that's actually called the SKU, like the product code, I guess. Um, It'll be six digits and then a space and then three digits. So the first six digits is the model of the shoe. The last three is going to be the colorway. So you could have a shoe that has, you know, the first six digits the same, but the colors are completely different. And then the combination of the last three will be different numbers. Different colors of the same shoe can sell for very different amounts. So when I'm in like an outlet, for example, I'll look up those uh, numbers. They're either on the box or they are on the box, but they're also inside the label of the shoe, um, at least on Nike brand, Jordan, that kind of thing. Um, You can search that code in the eBay search bar, see how many active listings there are of that code, and then flip over to sold and see how many there are sold. So if there's a 100 available and only three sold, it's not a very good shoe to pick up. But if there's 50 available and 80 sold for more than you paid for it, of course, then it probably is a good shoe to pick up. So that's kind of how to how to judge that. And at the outlets, like Liz mentioned, selling on Amazon, they come, uh, they rip the box tops off, which I don't know if that's to prevent reselling or if it's just because the, their shelves are slanted. So it's just easier to display the mass quantity of different shoes that they have. Because um, they're all, not all of them, but they're mainly one-offs. They don't have, you know, 50 of the same shoe out on the shelf. It's hundreds of different shoes. Um, so at first, I would say to go in and just look at this product code for as many different shoes as you can and learn the market. And if you sell one, you can go back and hopefully find that similar shoe next time um, and pick it up again. I mean, of course, do the research again, because the market could look differently than it did two months ago. Um, but yeah, looking up that product code when you're in the store is definitely how how to tell if if something is like a profitable pickup or not.
2: Keeping with this theme of sourcing, we don't expect you to give up, you know, your exact places where you buy inventory, but give us some, you know, inside information where you're looking for stuff right now. Is it? Are you still going to the outlets? Do you have like a a private source that you're sourcing from. Give us some tips.
1: So it's kind of become a little bit of everything, um, t shirts. And I mean, the clothing wise, that's all Goodwill, but sneakers has kind of developed into like a lot of different sources, the main one. And of course, the initial one is definitely Nike outlets. Um, I used to do Adidas outlets as well, but kind of stopped finding as much. So it wasn't necessarily worth the trips there at scale. But I mean, Nike outlets, i usually I can go into a Nike store and find five to 20 pairs that are, are worth picking up. And I live fairly close to one. So if I do that daily, I mean, that's a de- decent amount of inventory. As far as more like exclusive sneakers, it's a little bit trickier. And I would say you have to have a little bit more knowledge before you delve into that world. Um, because you're buying off essentially in other resellers, right? And they might have gotten them for retail, in which case you know that it's you know an authentic product. But the source of it is kind of unknown. So if you're spending $500 on like a more higher end you know, valuable Jordan, then issues of authenticity and stuff kind of come up, which they wouldn't from the outlet because you're buying it directly from Nike. Um, but I mean, to circle back and answer the question, Nike outlet definitely still um, individual resellers that I've built relationships with over the past, and then sneaker events like sneaker con and their smaller local events where a bunch of vendors and I, I've done this myself, but I prefer the buying side of things. For that now, and then to just sell online. Those are all kind of the avenues that I'm working with now to, to purchase product.
2: Awesome. So you kind of touched on it a little bit, but we actually had a few people reach out and ask this question when we mentioned that we were interviewing a sneaker reseller. How do you protect yourself authenticity-wise in selling sneakers on platforms like eBay?
1: Well, so it's it's kind of difficult because it all comes down to the source of where you're buying it from, right? If you're, I've gotten burned a couple times, and I know you kind of raised this question earlier um, with buying fakes, but every time I did that, it was um, from like offer up, right? Like a platform where you're meeting with someone and buying it off them. Now, this is probably the sketchiest way to buy inventory like that, because the source is unverified, you're taking someone else's word for it. Um, And fakes nowadays of these like limited Jordans are, are really well made. So it can be really difficult to tell. Um, Like I have a pair of shoes to this day that because I I can't do anything with them, I can't sell them on these platforms, because I, you know, risk my account, and it's not worth it over one pair of shoes. But it is very tricky to tell nowadays on some pairs if they're real or fake. So for me, I would say that the source is the most important part, you're buying it from trusted people, you're buying it from retail, sneaker events tend to be pretty safe. Uh, just because there's so many other people in the room that are knowledgeable in the field. So if you do have a table set up full of fakes, you will most likely get noticed and kicked out fairly quickly. Um, Of course, something can slip through the cracks. um, But most of these bigger sneaker events, eBay actually has a table or like a big booth installation there where you can bring them shoes and they'll authenticate it for free. Um, so that's a, a very helpful thing, and I'm sure very good, you know, publicity for for their platform as well.
2: Yeah, that is awesome. I had no idea that they set tables up there. That's really cool. Uh, uh,
0: but I want to piggyback on. I know you. Well, I know a little bit more about Josh because you know we're good friends. But I know you have a lot of sneakers that you hold onto. Mm-hmm. So. If you're starting to sell sneakers, a lot of people will go to Ross, they'll go to the Nike outlet. But then if you really are interested in turning it into a true sneaker reselling business, you're going to probably get into the more limited releases and the ones that you want to hold on to. So if somebody was interested in that, how would they go about doing that? And then what's some tips on what to look for for those sneakers that you would hold on to instead of sell right away?
1: Okay, so. This one's kind of trickier because it's, I guess, like the expert level of it, you you have to have a lot of knowledge on which shoes are popular and which shoes are limited in nature, right? Shoes that you buy at the outlet and places like that are very unlikely to rise in value over time, because they tend to be shoes that Nike will recreate, right? If they sell well in their stores, then they'll just make a million more of them. Um, so, the ones that kind of end up in the that you know investment category, if you will, are shoes that Nike released at retail price and then they sold out pretty much immediately. sometimes a couple years later, a shoe model can become popular and then go up in value, even if it wasn't intended to be like a limited release at first. Those limited nature shoes are kind of the ones that can go up o- over time um, as a beginner getting into reselling sneakers, I would definitely stay away from this side of things. Um, because unless you understand the market and have a lot of experience in it, you could end up buying shoes that actually go down in value and then you're losing money by sitting on it. So you've tied up capital, you've lost money, you've lost time that you could have reutilized that capital. So unless you have a lot of money on the side that you want to, you know, invest and grow semi-passively, um, I wouldn't recommend that, that investing side of things. Um, there are a lot of raffles for these types of shoes. Um, not all shoes on these raffle sites are profitable or that limited necessarily, but these types of places are where Nike and other foot sites like Foot Locker and stuff will release those types of shoes on a, on a raffle basis. So it's kind of somewhat luck-based. Foot Locker, Champs, Finish Line, they all have apps that they run their raffles through. Uh, Nike's app and uh, the Nike Sneakers app, which are two separate apps, those both have... Um, these kind of raffles as well and then adidas has one called confirmed but not very many of the shoes that release unconfirmed in my opinion are you know that profitable from from the retail price um, but those are kind of a few avenues that those shoes get pushed out through but like I said to answer your question about the investing side of things you want to have a lot of experience and a lot of capital before you dive into into that world
0: so you would recommend if somebody was wanting to start start with the Ross, spine, start with Nike outlet, and then really probably do a lot of research on ones that sell.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I would say something like that. And if you're interested in like the, the higher end, more limited stuff, go to, you know, sneaker events, follow sneaker blogs, sneaker Instagram pages, and see what shoes they're talking about. You'll start to notice that the same shoes keep popping up. And those are probably the ones that are, you know, popular, the ones that are talked about, the ones that are. Um, you know, that people want. And those types of shoes are the ones that will appreciate over time in theory. Uh, Of course, there could be a re-release randomly. Some shoes, I noticed too, a lot of dips in that market. Like during COVID, I had one shoe that I bought 20 pairs of. I paid about 230 a pair. They went up to about 320. And now it sits at about 250. So it went up and then it went right back down to close where I bought it. I started liquidating a few of them when they were at the peak and now I'm kind of selling the last 5 6 pairs that I have left at slightly over break even but the market shifted for you know many reasons but Nike actually had like a reserve where they they dropped that shoe again in a much smaller quantity um, but that obviously tanked the market so there's risks with sitting there and holding on to stuff like that
0: Now what I found fascinating when we went to SneakerCon how do I want to say it it's they the sneaker
1: Like fanatic? Yeah, they
0: like love their sneakers. And it's not just people like when you go to these like sneaker con, it's not just sneaker resellers. It's people that like they love their Nike shoes. They love their sneakers. And one of the things that I found fascinating when we went was everyone was using the StockX uh, app to figure out because there were, you know, the booths and everybody had their sneakers out. And some of them would be like, Two ten, and then you'd go over to another table, and it'd be two fifty. And you went to another table, and it was two thirty. But I was always like, "How are they pricing their shoes?" And then Josh was showing me on the StockX app that it's kind of like the stock market—like you can see, you know, the trend of the shoes and the cost.
1: Absolutely. I mean, StockX is kind of widely—they're hated on a lot because I guess they've let a lot of fakes slip through the cracks. Um, I don't really sell on there. I mean, I've sold thousands of shoes and I've sold, I think, 45 on StockX in my lifetime. So a very small percentage. I've bought a couple on there in the past, but they have kind of high fees and then sales tax on top of that. So if you're buying an expensive shoe and then add 8 you know, 10% sales tax wherever you are, it really adds on. I mean, $40 onto a $400 purchase is quite a bit to then go and have margin to sell it somewhere else. But StockX is kind of used as like, I guess, the standard of comparing prices. So in an environment like that, where there's a room full of, you know, hundreds of vendors, everyone has to kind of go off a similar baseline to compare and, and see what, you know, a shoe is actually worth. And I think what a lot of the tables do is they will look at the StockX price and then they'll put the, the price of their shoe, you know, 20 $30 higher than that. For two reasons. One, because if you buy it on StockX after the fees and shipping, it becomes higher anyway. Two, it allows them the the room to negotiate a little bit. If someone wants to come in and say, hey, you know, it's 200 on StockX. You have it for 230. You know, will you take 210? They're still kind of winning because they're still a little bit over market. But when I go to those places for buying, what I try to do is find people that have their table priced at like StockX market value. And then I try to, you know, bring them down 20 bucks below that. And if I can buy shoes at that price, then I still have a healthy margin, especially considering that for me, at least a lot of shoes sell for a little bit more on eBay. So it just increases my margin a little bit further doing it that way. But yeah, StockX is just kind of the... it. It's a very good platform to show what different shoes are worth and to show, like Liz said, the comparison of where it was last year to today.
2: I wanted to touch back just quick on we, when we were speaking about more of the investment sneakers, the ones that you're going to buy and hold on to. Can you tell us a little bit about like what your favorite investment pair has been to date? If you still have it, don't worry about it. But if if you've already flipped it, tell us about it.
1: No, uh, no worries. Um, so I guess I should kind of dive a little deeper into why I started doing that. Um, a couple years, uh, I guess four, probably four years ago, I came across a couple like really limited pairs that I got lucky and hit these raffles on for retail. Right. And I sold them right away. And this was like a shoe that at the time was like one out of my budget, out of like my usual shoes I'm dealing with. So it was like a very special thing for me to have, you know, it felt cool. It felt like, oh, wow. Like, you know, one day I'll be able to wear these. That type of shoe I sold right away and made like, you know, a $50, 60 profit. And I was, you know, pumped because it came in two days later, it was gone and I, I had a profit. But I started seeing that same shoe and it was one I wanted for myself, right? And didn't justify the purchase at the time. It kept rising and rising and rising in value. So I got that shoe for, I think, 160 bucks was retail. I sold it for, you know, 240 and after fees made maybe 50 bucks. Um, but that shoe today is $800.
2: Oh my gosh.
1: So I kind of started to see that and I noticed that around the time that it was, you know, 400 and thought, well, now, now I really won't get it for myself. I started to notice it was going up and I thought, wait, like these limited releases, they tend to go up over time if it's, you know, the right pair and they don't re-release and it's some sort of collaboration with another brand. There's a lot of little factors like that. Um, But I started to get interested in that side of things and, and bought a couple pairs that I just tucked away to see what would happen. Now, when COVID happened and stores shut down, a lot of my sourcing kind of got you know, taken away, I wasn't able to go out and really buy shoes in the same manner that I was before. On the flip side of that, people couldn't really go to stores to buy shoes. So at least from what I noticed, I think a lot of people went online to buy pairs. Um, my sales, I mean, during last year, perhaps the year before were probably double what they were before and now. Um, so a lot of people were, were buying my shoes and my inventory was like dwindling pretty quickly. And I started to wonder like where I can put that money, right? I can only buy so many t-shirts my retail uh, sources have kind of been cut dry. There's there's nowhere I can put this money to make it you know effectively work for me. So I started to think of these investment pairs, and I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna buy. My initial thought was one per week. So I wanted to buy a pair of shoes that was around three hundred dollars that I thought within one to two years would be at five hundred dollars. And that one a week turned into two a week, and then after one and a half to two years, somewhere in that window. I counted the pairs that I had and it was over 300. Holy cow. And now I've been going through and kind of liquidating some of those. I have 200 of them left. um, So I've gotten rid of 100 of them. And I would say about 80% of those had gone up in value somewhat significantly. 10% were kind of the same or stagnant. And then 10%, I ended up having to sell at a small loss or i still have them and and kind of trying to figure out what to do with but you know i guess those are just kind of bad calls on my part but yeah at the time it was because i had extra capital and nowhere to spend it and i thought where can i put this money i'd seen a couple people on instagram like kind of talking about it but it was very under the radar a lot of people are doing this now and it's made it a lot harder to see significant returns because at the time when i started doing it you could buy almost any uh, Jordan, there's a couple models, right? Jordan 1s, Jordan 4s, Jordan 3s, Nike Dunks, even Yeezys at the time were kind of acting this way. Those shoes would all appreciate somewhat. And now the market's kind of changed where you have to pick very specific ones for them to effectively go up over time, which is also why I've started liquidating and kind of getting out of it a little bit more. So part of that was a, a timing thing. Um, but there are definitely some models. Right now, a little tip, I think the Jordan four if that comes out in a good colorway, that's kind of neutral and easy to wear and a lot of people both you know men women and kids would like the color um and buy up all of the stock that exists in it then that shoe will will do well over time very interesting i
2: my mind is blown honestly
1: (laughs) i brought i brought one example so this is kind of a shoe that you could get these for retail when they came out. It was within a year, but close to a year ago. Retail price was like 125, I believe. Um, I bought probably four or five pairs for retail, and then I paid 150 from individual sellers for a couple more pairs. So I have about 12. But yeah, so I mean, average cost probably 130 ish. I guess lighting is kind of bad. Um, it's called the Jordan One Mid. Uh, linen is the colorway or college gray. Like like I said, a very neutral shoe. It's white and two other colors, which are very similar, like tones. Um, But this shoe now, less than a year later in the bigger sizes, like 11 and a half is going for 230. So if you would have paid 150 a year ago and bought, you know, call it a hundred pairs and then sell them now for 230, you're making a significant amount on each one.
2: Yeah. So So what sizes do you typically focus on? Are you looking at all sizes or more of like that, you know, average person's foot size?
1: I'm looking at all of them. If I'm buying more than let's say 10 pairs, I'd like to have you know a couple of each size. But from what I've noticed, at least now this has shifted because it used to be small sizes were more expensive because they were more limited in quantity. And at the time, for at least from what I've heard, the Asia market was really heavily into Jordans. Um, whereas now that market's kind of shifted into being more into other types of sneakers. Um, but those smaller sizes would be the ones to appreciate further. Now where US seems to be the main Jordan market, the bigger men sizes seem to be the ones that appreciate quicker. Um, and I mean, if you look at eBay or StockX, you can see this data. You can look up the name of this shoe and then size 10 and see how many are sold and how many are active. You can do the same with size 11, same with size 12. And you can see the differences in how many active versus sold just within the sizing, right? Um, But for a shoe like this, I mean, the 11 and a half, I looked at this one yesterday, which is why I use this as an example. Um, Size 11 and a half is going for 230, whereas a size 10 is going for 180. That's so great. had I bought all size 11 and a half, I would have been doing a lot better. But I have, you know, a couple nines, a couple 10s, a couple 11s, a couple 11 and a halfs, a couple 12s, just to kind of, I guess, spread the risk out. So, I've made, if I sell them now, I've made profit on all of them, but definitely more on the bigger sizes.
2: Is there a process that you have to kind of sell through inventory that's not moving as fast as you would like? Do you start to discount them? Like, what's, talk about your process on things that are sitting too long
1: for you. So, on eBay, um, yes, I do tend to like discount stuff. I always send an offer to watchers on pretty much everything that's in my store under. once it gets higher than that, it's harder to justify like a, you know, 5% is like the minimum, I believe. It gets harder to to justify sending a 5% discount on a $700 pair of shoes, for example. But yes, I do discount stuff. And for those things that I've noticed that I've had sitting for a long time, let's say I have it at, you know, $50 plus shipping. If I know it's been sitting for two years, even if I paid $30 for it, I'd rather get 20 back out of it so I can put it into something else versus having it sit for another two years. So if someone watches that item and I hadn't seen that item pop up in forever, I'll just send them like a, you know, $25 50% off offer and half the time that they'll, they'll accept that because it's, you know, obviously a very good deal compared to they were already interested somewhat at the full price. And that way I can I can liquidate it, get rid of it and put it into something that's going to, you know, turn around quicker and and do better for me in the long term.
0: Don't you yeah. also though not just that, but don't you use um like local People that you sell to, or like stores, or is that for your old inventory, or is that for like the limited releases that you do, like those bulk sales?
1: So that's definitely for limited releases. That's kind of a new avenue that I've taken. So there's different stores that do consignment where you can send them shoes, they sell them for you, they take their fee, and then they send you a check, right? There's three main ones that at least that I'm familiar with. I know there's a lot more than this, but like the big names would be flight club, stadium goods and urban necessities. Urban necessities is the one that I go through. It's in Vegas. I've gone there many times. Um, The guy that runs it has a YouTube channel that he doesn't put out that much content anymore. I would imagine he's fairly busy. Those videos from like sneaker cons and stuff also kind of helped me get really interested into like these limited shoes. A lot of times consignment like that, well, your shoes will sell for more but it takes a long time to one, get them there, two for them to process it, three for them to sell it, and then even longer for you to actually get the check. So I sold, this is six to eight weeks ago, I sold 10 pair of shoes there in one week um, for almost three grand. And those shoes I got paid for last week. So I mean, it, it lags behind six to eight weeks to get the payment for it. So it's not like the most attractive method of you know quick income, I guess. But for these limited shoes that I've been holding, I've found that that's a better avenue to get rid of them because I get a little bit more out of it and they've already been sitting for you know a year. So what's, what's two more months of waiting to get paid? But those bulk shipments they are asking about that you've mm-hmm. seen me make are to consignment. So that's not a sale necessarily mm-hmm. yet. I'm sending them my inventory in bulk to sell moving forward. And that's, I mean, I started that four or five months ago and I've sent in 140 pairs of shoes 70 are still pending, so they're, you know, in the process of being added to their store. So 70 have landed there and out of those 70, I've sold pretty much exactly half within a couple months and some, you know, landed like last week. So those, are, those haven't had that much time to actually sell through. Nice. But yeah, so those bulk shipments are to consignment and that's kind of a newer model for me. So I don't have, you know, too much expertise to kind of talk about the process of it. But it's something that I'm... That's kind of where I see things going for me is playing more with that model. Um, The margins are smaller, but like the sell through rate and the dollar value profit and each sale can get pretty high depending on what shoes you're talking about.
0: And if you get to go to Vegas, that's even better.
1: That's a bonus. Yeah. (laughs) It was cool when SneakerCon was there because we got to go to SneakerCon, which is very fun for me. I wouldn't say it's that fun for someone that's like not that into shoes, unless of course you want to go and learn about it and kind of see what's going on. Um, But there's not that much like value to get out of it unless you sell those types of shoes or are interested in those types of shoes or just interested in like, you know, I guess reselling in general just to see the vibe. Um, But for me, I find value in going there and meeting people, buying shoes off them, connecting on Instagram and potentially buying shoes from them moving forward. Um, Because then, you know, you have an authentic source, right? You have a person you've met, you have a, a face to the name you have their Instagram, you know that they're like a public person that travels to these events and has a brand name for their business that they care about maintaining. So those kind of connections have have been what I've found valuable in that. But the outlets in Vegas are pretty good as well. So I mean, between SneakerCon, the outlets there, uh, checking in at this consignment shop that I I sell shit through. And then like Liz, you said, being in Vegas is just fun in general. So (laughs) it's a pretty cool experience going there for that.
2: Yeah. Touching back on the authenticity aspect, Could you give our listeners like one or two surefire ways of recognizing a fake when you see one?
1: So it's gotten really difficult because a lot of the the newer Jordan releases, what what these companies um, overseas will do to make fakes is they'll actually buy an authentic pair and they'll study it and try to recreate it as closely as they can. So it's hard to tell if you're a beginner. I mean, I'll be honest with you; it's even hard for me to tell in a lot of cases. And I've been doing this for years. But a couple like little hints is one: you need a black light. Um, if you shine the black light on the box, um, the box label usually, if you see a little stamp there that's only shows under the black light, those stamps are used by these factories. Um, I don't know why they do it because it's kind of a, a surefire way to tell that it's is was fake. But if you see that little stamp there. That is definitely a fake. Uh, Nike has a sticker on the inside of the shoe box that's white and green. I think it says like YDM or something like that on it. I don't know what that sticker is for, but it has little ridges in the sticker that you can't really see unless you tilt it a certain way, but you can feel them. If you run your finger over it, a lot of the fakes that I've seen don't have that like texture to them. So that's like another little giveaway, I guess. Um, and once again, back to the black light, if you shine your light over, um, like the panels like here, sometimes you'll see little stitching lines where they were supposed to make the cuts or the stitches and they just kind of misplaced them. So authentic pairs won't have those stitching lines. Um, but the fakes will sometimes, but it's really just hit or miss. I mean, sometimes they can make a fake that hits all that doesn't have any of those flaws. Um, and then it, it goes down to more knowledge of like, you know, where things should be placed, the details and the stitching and like the smell of the shoe sounds weird, but like the type of glue that they use, the flexibility of the shoe. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm pushing as hard as I can on this and it's not budging. If you had a fake, this could potentially, you know, bulge out. Like the materials just aren't as good. Little things like that. But I mean, those, those few examples I gave at the beginning are like definitely the starting points. If you want to check a shoe, the stamp, that uh, sticker on the inside, And uh, those stitching lines are definitely things to look for. Wow, that is so helpful. Thank you so much for that.
2: Holy cow. And if you're listening and if you're interested in selling sneakers or authenticity, you need to hop over to the YouTube channel and check out what he just showed us on screen. Okay, so another question for you. Has there been, I'm dying to know this. Is there a pair of sneakers that is like the holy grail for you that you've been searching for or that's on your like bucket list of sneakers that you have to purchase?
1: So this question is pretty fun because it it always fluctuates, right? So if you start back, like when I first started getting into sneakers, there was one pair and I actually brought it today to show. um, There was one pair that I, I really wanted. I wouldn't say it's something that like everybody wants, really. It was just what I, I had seen it somewhere and I was like, damn, those are cool. I really, you know, one day want those, but you know, once again, broke college student, I really didn't have the money to drop a couple hundred dollars on, you know, a shoe that I wanted. Um one day when I had started making a little bit of side income I found a pair on one of those like local apps like off-rep or something like that. It was like lightly used, it was my size and I think it was like 140 bucks, which that's more, you know, reasonable than spending 3 400 on a, a new pair. Um so I thought, you know, I'm going to I'm going to pull the trigger and I'm going to buy these. So I got them. Turns out it's the most uncomfortable shoe I've ever worn in my life.
2: <laughs> oh, but no. I still have them. But... What was it? you have them with you?
1: I'll show you. Ooh. So they're air max nineties that are made out of like cork, oh. but the cork material right here is so stiff that like every step you take is super painful. Um, well, once again, this isn't something that like everybody would want or like hunts for, but to me it was just like the one that made me really like sneakers. As I started to get a little bit more into sneakers, um, I picked these up, which is one of my favorites um wow, the Jordan 1 awesome. it looks red on the screen but they're actually orange okay um, it's called the reverse shattered backboard so these go for about a 1000 bucks and what are those called the Jordan 1 it's the same yeah. as the the investment one I showed showed earlier but this is like the high top version okay. i believe these came out in like 2015 so it's like it's become a lot harder to find pairs in first of all new condition but um, I bought these used, actually me and Liz were at a bar together and I, I bought these <laughs> while we were together. But I think I paid about 700 for those in used condition and I wear them. And it, it sounds ridiculous to say, you know, $700 for a used pair of shoes. But the thing is that I could sell those today for the same, if not more, even though I've worn them, you know, 20, 30 times on top of what they'd already been worn. So they hold value really well. That one's unlikely to get re-released if I catch wind of them re-releasing something like that, I would probably sell my used pair because that could affect the market later. But for now, I mean, I've basically just borrowed $700 from myself to to wear a nice pair of shoes that, you know, I can always get it back later.
2: Yeah, those are awesome. Good for you, man. That's great.
1: And I do have a, a pretty big collection too. I mean, those are just the ones that have like, I guess, stories behind them. But I have about 50 pairs of shoes that like I, I personally wear and rotate through And if I get bored of them, I'll I'll sell them and you know put them into something else or refunnel it back into kind of my inventory system. So it's a constantly changing thing. It never really feels like a cost, right? Because I'm always able to get money back out of it.
2: Exactly. That's like one of the best parts about reselling. Honestly, you get Uh to, you know, filter through your inventory. If you get bored with something, you just sell it and buy something else. That's awesome.
1: Oh yeah. And my closet works the same way. I mean, with clothes. I bought this at Goodwill like a week ago for like four (laughs) dollars. Love that.
2: Have you ever had anyone reach out to you to sell their personal collection?
1: Not necessarily like their personal collection, but I did have one guy reach out to me. This is probably six months ago, and I kind of fumbled the ball on this one. He reached out while I was on vacation and he wanted to sell, I guess, like the inventory that he had. It was kind of like a all, take it all or leave it deal. There were a couple pairs on there I didn't want, but like the prices of everything else made it make sense. Um, the total was a little bit over like $8,000 and I was considering it. I was on vacation and I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to pull the trigger right now because I had met the guy once before. He's local here in Arizona. So it would have been like a meetup deal, right? There wouldn't have been any money transferred at the time anyway, since I was out of the country. But I thought about it for the next few days. I reached back out when I came home and said, hey, you know, I'm... I thought about it. I'm willing to do the deal. And he said, I already sold it yesterday. Oh, f- and at that point I was, but even though I was like kind of on the fence about it, once I found out it was no longer an option, I really wish I would have done it. Um, yeah. Cause probably about half of that, I would have sold right away. Half of it, I would have sold cheap just to get rid of. Um, and then some of it, I would have sold kind of at a premium. And then the mm-hmm. other half I would have sat on. And some of those shoes have appreciated quite a bit. So it would have been a, you know, I probably would have made $5,000 at this point off of that deal, but, you know, missed the ball. So that was an expensive vacation. <laughs>
2: <laughs> expensive lesson, but now you know for next time, right? Yeah. What do you think is one of the most important things a reseller should know before getting into the sneaker game? So, if someone's listening right now, maybe they're flipping, you know, used clothing, going to the thrift, but they've been interested in sneakers. What would you recommend to them to start doing to get the information? Or, you know, you mentioned before, go to the Nike outlet, look things up, give us something a little bit more specific, like a a resource that they can um, start learning from, something like that.
1: So YouTube was really helpful in in learning, um, I mean, about reselling in general, but also shoes and kind of sneaker news, I guess. But my advice in that arena would probably be to look at the dollars more than the interest in the shoe, right? So look at like the flip value versus a shoe that you like. I made the mistake and I mean, I still do because I'm, I'm really interested in, in like sneakers themselves. I'll buy a shoe for like 600 bucks that maybe I'll sell it and make $30 off of, which is not a good margin. But like I get to have the shoe for a little bit. I get to look at it. I get to, you know, take a picture, show that I've sold it. it it's like a cool experience. But if you're starting off in it, you could use that $600 in a much better way than making a $20 profit by, for example, going to the outlet and buying, you know, 12 shoes for the same amount of money. That you can make twenty to forty dollars on each one of those. So I guess to rephrase that, avoid the hype and look more closely at the numbers if you want it to be an actually, you know, informed business decision versus just, you know, toying around with shoes, which I like to consider my job. Absolutely. That makes so much sense.
2: Yeah. <laughs> What do you think would be the biggest mistake you've made in selling sneakers specifically?
1: Um, Probably, I mean, the, the fakes that I bought, I bought fakes three times total, um, obviously on accident. I haven't sold them, so I still have them. One of them I bought for myself and it ended up being fake. So I, I just, I wear it anyway, because at this point, like, what else can I do with it? But overall, those three mistakes cost me like $1,000 total. Which, yeah, that's a lot, but over the course of, you know, several years, the, the profit like far outweighs that. And kind of the similar story that all three of those have in common is they were all on offer. Up. So it was all people that like seemed very genuine and nice when you meet up with them, you kind of do the deal quickly because like, you know, you're in a hurry, they're in a hurry, everything looks good to begin with. And then you start to think about it on the drive home. You're like, that kind of went too smoothly, like the price was too good, whatever it is. And then I get home and do like a deep dive and I find like bigger issues that would have been hard to tell just right off the bat. So, I mean, that that's one. But like I said earlier about like where the source is from, those are all very avoidable if I would have just not been buying stuff on off road.
2: Do you think those people that sold them to you knew for sure that they were fake or do you think that they were like misinformed consumers?
1: So I mean, you never know, right? Because I reached back out to all three of them. One of the guys didn't say anything. The other guy said something like, "Come on, bro, they're still good" or something like that. So he probably knew. And then the other one, if I remember right, tried to claim they were like a gift from his mom or aunt or like whatever it was. So who knows? Like the the first guy, I think probably knows. He's still on OfferUp. It's super annoying. I've tried to report him like a bunch of times, and he's still on there selling shoes, which, like in my opinion, I would assume are probably also fake. And they're like $500 shoes you know so if someone else gets burned from that like that's that's a pretty serious thing for it could be a kid that saved up for you know a month to get like the shoe he always wanted and then he ends up with something that's essentially worthless just because you know this guy wants to make a quick buck yeah he's still on there i mean for anyone listening that's in arizona i think his username on there is like cuban links or something like that um but yeah he he's one of them and then um the other i mean they're both just random people they all seem nice i think offer up in places like that are where people would go to liquidate things like that so the risk is higher because eBay, Goat and StockX which I would say are the main three like selling platforms they all have authenticity guarantee eBay only does on shoes over 100 bucks i believe used is 150 um but the other two apps are regardless of price they're authenticated so people like that can't sell those shoes on those platforms so they'll turn to places like you know the local places where there's a chance they can you know pull a quick one on someone
2: Gotcha. Wow. That is crazy. Let's switch to a little bit more positive gear then. (laughs) Bring the mood back up. What do you feel has been your biggest success in your business so far?
1: Oh, good question. I think, I mean, this is partially luck-based and, you know, not saying it was a good situation or anything, but during the, the two years there where the market was heavily affected by, you know, COVID and store shutdowns and things like that, my business kind of skyrocketed, and I'm sure a lot of resellers can relate to this. If they had a lot of inventory online and that was kind of the only place to shop at the time, things kind of you know sold better and more. And at that time, I was able to turn that inventory into a lot of money and turn that into more inventory. So I was able to build a much bigger store in the last couple of years because of you know those kind of external factors. I mean, my business has grown a little bit every year for, I mean, probably seven, six, seven years now. But those past two years have definitely been like the, the biggest shift in that. So I mean, timing, I guess, and sticking it out and doing it for a long term and reinvesting profits versus spending them. Um, it's really there hasn't been like a defining successful moment, I would say more so just like noticing the increases over time is what kind of continues to push me.
2: That's a great answer. I think a lot of people when, you know, COVID started, there was so much uncertainty. People didn't really know what to do. And some people buckled down and they doubled down on their businesses and really put, you know, a lot of time and reinvested a lot of money back into their businesses and now they're reaping the benefits of that. And other people made more cautious decisions and obviously you can't blame them for doing that. We didn't know what the future was going to hold at that time, but the people who really took the risks at that point, when everything first started happening, they're definitely reaping the rewards of that. Now I feel.
1: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, at the time I, I got kind of lucky too, with like my sources drying up, I had plastic bins in my garage. Cause another thing that I sell is like board shorts and shorts, which obviously is seasonal. Right. So I had been buying those throughout the winter when, when, no one else is buying them really. And then I'd tuck them away in my garage and like these big plastic bins. So after I started running out of shirts and shoes to list and couldn't buy anymore, I had this surplus of like 400, 500 pairs of shorts that at least I had something to list, right? I wasn't sitting at home thinking like, what do I do now? I had something to work through and to be fair, it didn't last that long. I mean, I was able to, I can list about 20 in an hour. You know, I would do 20, 30 a day, just slowly to kind of keep having inventory to to list. So my store never really got stale, right? There was always something being added. Um, I was buying a little bit of stuff online and, and selling that, but it was like few and far between. But it wasn't at a standstill. I mean, I still had something to kind of like stimulate my store and keep keep things rolling.
0: Yeah, I think that's important too, is to always have inventory. I know I sometimes say I get mad at Casey because he's like really big on, you can never have too much inventory. And I know a lot of people go back to, oh, well, I don't want a money pile or I don't want a pile of stuff. But it's good because we saw a couple of years ago, that's a good problem to have because you don't know when your sources are going to dry out. Mm-hmm. So it is really important to have that to fall back on if you do hit a dry spot. Cause I know it is kind of like that out here in Arizona, you know, actually yesterday we were only supposed to go to one Goodwill and we went to three and then we had a whole, you know, carload of stuff to bring back. And I mean, it's just a good thing to really, like you said, not, Take the profits, but reinvest the profits. And sometimes that's gonna be buying more inventory.
1: Yeah. Switching from like a a job to a reselling career, if that's what you want to call it, that shift for me, I guess is kind of sharing like a little bit of insight into like my trajectory too with going full time in this. I kind of quit my job too soon, right? Like I saw the money coming in from reselling and thought, like, oh, the money that I'm making from this, which was of course income and not profit is more than what I'm getting from my part-time day job. So I was in college at the time. So I was full-time college, 25, 30 hours a week at a warehouse job, and then call it 20 hours a week of, of reselling, right? And the money from reselling in 20 hours was bringing in more than my 30 hours at the warehouse. And I started to see those 30 hours as a cost, right? Because now that's time that I could spend doubling my eBay business which would you know bring me more financial freedom and time freedom than this job did. Once I quit that and all of my bills started coming out of the money that I should be reinvesting, it was a lot harder to build up my store because I'm now taking money from it versus just putting more money back in. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely some advice to anyone that's you know considering taking that jump is like make sure that the finances are in place to do that and that the business growth doesn't suffer because you have other bills and expenses to, to siphon money out of it for.
2: Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. What do you think your future looks like in Flipping Sneakers? Do you see yourself sticking with this for the foreseeable future? Is this your retirement plan? What is Josh's plan here?
1: That's a good question. Um, for now, I mean, I'm really enjoying what I'm doing and I'm slowly kind of building it up. I mentioned the consignment stuff earlier that I've started doing, which I see that is pretty promising and also more like passive and location independent, which is pretty cool. So I definitely want to build that up to hire um, higher levels and higher you know levels of income from that which also requires it requires a lot of capital but a lot less work so that's not like the end all be all but it's something that i like to build up on the side i definitely see myself maintaining and continuing to slowly build my my ebay store um, i'm buying a little bit of like stocks and etfs and stuff like that to kind of put away some of the money and things like that i'm interested in real estate i haven't really done much with it yet but that's something that i would like to kind of put money towards also i really just trying a lot of smaller like kind of side hustles like that, or if that's what you want to call it, income streams, learning, playing around with different ways to, to, I guess, be self-employed. It's hard. Cause I don't even know like what to tell people when they ask, like what my job is. Right. Cause I'm like, oh, well I sell sneakers, but I also sell thrifted goods. And like, I invest a little bit and like, it, there's just so many little things. I know you're in a similar scenario, mm-hmm. but it's probably more so cause you've got a lot of different different avenues you work on. But yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting to just learn new things. And there's there's so many things you can do on the side that isn't like the tradi- traditional 9 to 5 job.
2: You mentioned this, you kind of touched on it a little bit before, but I wanted to dive in really quickly about your inventory system. So obviously, sneakerheads, do you guys like to be called sneakerheads? <laughs> yeah, I, mean, yeah that- I don't
1: think it's a bad <laughs> term at all. <laughs>
2: So people that are really interested in sneakers, they also are very specific about the boxes, I feel like, right? That's a thing? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, if you're talking high-end shoes, for sure. Okay. So how do you store those sneakers or just your inventory in general? Do you keep them at your home? Do you have like kind of an outbuilding like Casey and Liz? Are you a storage unit? What, how are you storing your your inventory?
1: So both. I have a storage unit and I have uh, my master bedroom and my house is a warehouse.
0: And your dad's, right?
1: <laughs> yeah. So I, mean, I have three three separate locations, which are ascend So my home is where I have kind of like the shoes that are actively on eBay and stuff that I'm selling and need to like grab from to ship every day storage is I go there every morning. Cause that's where I keep all my clothing. It's too much like spatially. Like I said, it's, it's 4,000 items. So like, which even though they're t-shirts takes up a lot of space. So that's at a storage unit. That's like 300 square feet. I think it's 30 by 10 or something like that. So I go there every morning, it's close to my house. So I go there, pick my orders first thing in the morning, come back home. And then my master bedroom is like my office as well as further warehouse space so that's where I'll ship and list and like do all that kind of stuff. But yeah, so I guess it's it's split up a little bit where I keep things. <laughs>
2: yeah, that makes sense. So is there anything that we didn't ask you that you think is really important to talk about if someone's interested in getting into flipping sneakers?
1: I mean, I guess that really covers it. I'm I'm open to, you know, anyone reaching out to me with with any further questions, but it's it's hard to come up with uh, you know, another question on the spot. I would <laughs> say like I said, just reiterating being careful with like the finances of things and not following the hype and more so following like what you can actually turn around and learning what you can you move. I mean, there's there's low end, not low end, they're still limited in nature, but like shoes that retail for a hundred that sell for 120 and you might be better off buying that kind of shoe and selling, you know, making a $20 profit several times versus trying to buy something for 700 that you might be able to sell for eight. Because if you have a small customer base, and I guess online kind of increases your customer base, but it, with shoes at that level it's hard to um, after fees come out it's that's a big part of the margin, right so it might be very hard for you as especially as a beginner to move that kind of shoe and actually profit from it and you'd be better off sticking to like the I guess not as exciting lower models if, if the profit, you know, is, is the end goal. Absolutely. I think that's really smart
2: advice. I think a lot of resellers get sidetracked by like the glitz and glam and like the, you know, the things that are really, really popular, the the bolos, so to speak. They forget that there's those bread and butter items that, and those are like the building blocks. That's what you're going to build your business on. And then you can start going after those hot items and flip those more and more and more. So last question If you could give our fellow resellers one piece of advice on how they could turn their paycheck into a day check, what would
1: it be? I would say to focus on building it slowly, but steadily on the side while you're still working your full-time job, build a system, whether that's, you know, financially or inventory wise, Um, like having an inventory number on everything and having it organized. So you don't have to go back and restructure your business. Cause I had to do that in the past. I just bought t-shirts, put them on eBay with pictures, and then I tucked them away in like a, some sort of shelving unit that I had. And there was no organization. There was no inventory number. So once I got to, you know, a few hundred items, it became time consuming and difficult to try to find certain things. So I had to go back and I did this a few different times when I kind of restructured stuff. I had to go back and n- number and like relist the rename everything, which took weeks at that point. So I would recommend building a system first and then following that system. And I mean, if you do an inventory number system, you can start with your first listing being listing number one, and then number two and have like a sticker on it or have it in a bag with a label that says the number because you can build that out forever without ever having to really revisit or restructure. So think about those kind of things, organize it and build it slowly over time. Don't get too excited about You know, jumping ship or building a huge business—take it day by day because you know Rome wasn't built in a day, and your business won't be either.
0: All right, so we want to say thank you, Josh, for being our guest on the Paycheck to Daycheck Reselling Podcast. If people are listening to the podcast or watching on YouTube, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, so my uh, my personal Instagram is Joshua J Madsen. If you follow me on there, I'm happy to follow you back. My sneaker page is oblivious kicks because i do mainly ebay and um like the consignment model now i don't really sell much through this page i don't really post that much on it either but that's kind of like where i highlight certain shoes and stuff that i get in i should be a little bit more active on there if you follow me on there i likely won't follow back because i do a lot of buying on there and i like to keep my feed kind of like only sneaker related and only resellers that i'm actually buying from like my other pages where I follow people, friends, and you know news pages, and like everything that you know normal people follow. So my sneaker one, I'm trying to keep strictly sneakers. If you are a sneaker reseller, feel free to you know follow me on there. Then I will follow back, and you know feel free to shoot me a message if you have shoes that you want to sell, or if you have any questions about selling shoes, reach out to either one of those pages. I'm happy to get back to
0: you. All right, so that's a wrap on another episode. All right, guys, that's a wrap on today's
2: episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Paycheck to Daycheck Reselling Podcast.
0: Anything we mentioned in this episode will be linked down below in the show notes or description down below. Be sure to share this episode with anyone
2: you think it will help and follow us on social media at P2D Podcast.
0: Thanks again for listening.
2: Keep working towards that day check.